Good evening. It's a beautiful day God made, isn't it? Our text tonight is John 13, verses 1 through 20. And since it's already been read, I will just refer to it in my sermon. I'm going to focus on three things tonight. First, what Jesus knew about himself and others. Second, what he did with what he knew. And third, what we must do. So, what did Jesus know? Look at the first part of verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, he knew his hour had come. All of history had come to this point, the point where he would secure for sinners the forgiveness of sins. His mission was set. He knew that the time had come to fulfill this mission that had been ordained from before time. He was the King of kings and Lord of lords, creator of the universe, the sinless one. And now he was approaching the hour where he would take the sins of his people upon himself and bear the wrath of God Almighty. Look at the next part of the verse. That he would depart out of this world to the Father. He would soon be departing from this world. He had been with God the Father and the Holy Spirit in perfect unity. There had not been a start to his existence. He was begotten, not made. Very God of very God. He created all things. He was the Son of God, and he would soon return to his Father to sit at his right hand, where he would rule forever. But before that, he had to undergo a false trial, torture, and be murdered on a cross. The sinless one had to go undergo the punishment for his people's sin. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's go back to verse 1. The rest of the verse, uh, verse 1 says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He would do this. He would do this for those who are his. He would be the perfect example of manly courage and faithfulness. He would be true to the end and he will never fail us. His friends were there that night, his most intimate friends, fishermen, rough men, regular men, without great merit or cause to be the friends of the Son of God Almighty. And his betrayer was there that night. Now skip down to verse 11 for just a moment where it says, For he knew the one who was betraying him. Jesus knew, that, Jesus knew that Judas would betray him and hand him over to be killed. Judas was there that night with Jesus and his friends. He had been Satan's double agent, his insurgent, and he aimed to destroy. In verse 3 it says, Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Jesus knew that all things were given into his hands by his Father. He had all authority. My second point is, 
what he did with what he knew. What did he do? The next verse, verse 4 says, He got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. So the Son of God, the creator of all things, and the one to whom all authority had been given, laid aside his garments, girded himself with a towel, and began to wash the feet of the disciples, including Judas. Foot washing was a low task. It was a task of the lowest servants. It was not the task of a king. But Jesus did it. This shocking, scandalous act was the first step on the path that would end the next day at the cross. The king had not only laid aside his garments and put on a towel and washed feet, he had laid aside his royalty and heavenly place, been born as a human being, a man, and now he was doing most unseemly and disgusting thing. He would be tried and beaten near to death and hung on a cruel cross and die. But that's just the beginning of it. That's just what we can imagine. The crux of the issue is what he bore. He was crushed. Isaiah 53.5 says, But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. He took on my filthy, putrid sin. He took on the sins of his people and was forsaken by his father. The unity from forever was broken, and the sinless God-man was literally in hell. One of my favorite movies is The Shawshank Redemption. It's set in 1947, and it's about a man named Andy Dufresne, who is wrongly accused of murder and how he escaped by slowly digging through a wall with a tiny rock hammer. It took 20 years. The hole in his cell wall was hidden behind whatever poster girl was in vogue in the era. The guards let him keep the posters up because they liked to look at him. Andy pretended to be a rock buff, and they let him have a hammer, a little tiny rock hammer, because they thought it was harmless enough. After hammering through the wall, he crawled through. His main escape route was through the sewer. Here is how Red, the narrator in the movie, describes it. Andy crawled to freedom through 500 yards of blank-smelling foulness I can't even imagine. Or maybe I just don't want to. 500 yards. That's the length of five football fields, just shy of half a mile. This scene has always brought to my mind the horribleness of sin and what Jesus Christ did to forgive forgiveness for them, to secure forgiveness for them. My sins are that sewer. Your sins are that sewer. Do you know that? Do you want to think about it? Or are your sins just clean items on a list to be checked off? Is it an intellectual construct? Do you feel the vileness of your sin? Or do you even think about you have sin at all? Pray for God to show you, and pray even more for the grace to bear it when he does. But don't dwell there. Dwell on Jesus Christ. Believe the good news. It really is that good. But remember the cost of the good news. 
It was so high because our sins really are so bad. He really did go through the horror of your sewer and mine and much, much more. He paid for your sins. Believe, believe, believe in Jesus Christ. Flee from the wrath to come. God's judgment is real. Someone must pay for your sin. Either you or Jesus, that's it. There is no other way. And you will never be able to pay the price. No, never. Do you know that prior to washing the feet of his disciples, Jesus had his feet washed by a prostitute? It is recorded for us in Luke 7, verses 37 through 39. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and kept wiping them with the hair of her head, and kissing his feet, and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. This woman was doing the lowly task of foot washing, but there is so much more here. The woman knew the sewage of her sin, and she knew the magnificence of her Savior. She knew what she was saved from. What about you? So back to our text, where Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples. Look at verses 6 through 9. When he came to Peter, Peter said, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Peter, like the prostitute, was beginning to see his need of Jesus. Oh, Lord, wash all of me. It is as if he suddenly saw. His attitude became an attitude of dire need. He saw. He fled to Jesus Christ. Do you see? Will you flee to Jesus Christ? Jesus was showing these disciples what he must do. He must take on the mean task of washing them. He had humbly lowered himself to earth. He humbled himself on his knees and washed their feet. He would humble himself to the cross where he would die a bloody death, descend to hell, be set apart from his father in order to wash us in his blood. Will you humble yourself to be washed? Or do you say, Lord, do you wash me with your blood? How primitive, how disgusting. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. See what he has done. Humble yourself before the one who humbled himself. To the one who humbled himself to a degree that we can barely comprehend. In verse 11, Jesus said, not all of you are clean. He was speaking of Judas 
and all of the Judases to come. Those who walk alongside the disciples and who may even think they are disciples themselves. But they introduce destructive heresies, create divisions in the church, they are malicious gossips, they spurn the authority of the church, they keep their money for themselves, and worst of all, they do not believe by faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. If you have ears to hear, please hear. If the Holy Spirit is causing your conscience to twinge, seize the hour, seize the moment. Forget about the mystery, believe now, and understand later. For it is written in the Gospel of Mark, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. That is what we must do. My third point is what we must do. Whether you've been a Christian for a long time or you're just now believing and repenting, believe in the gospel and then do the gospel. Do the gospel? What does that mean? Look at the text in verses 13 through 17. Jesus said, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. But, Mr. Baker, what does that mean? Should we literally wash each other's feet? And I say, maybe. Ask God. Walk with him. Take up your cross. Your cross may be different than mine. You may have many crosses. But you must be willing to deny yourself. Cease from double-mindedness and excuse-making. Go all in. Trust God. Be like the prostitute who washed washed Jesus' feet with her tears and hair. For we have all been prostitutes in one way or another. Be like her and grasp the measure of your forgiveness and gratefully serve the Lord with a humble, obedient, joyful, repentant, soft heart. Love the saints. Submit to authority. Receive the words of your pastors, those sent by God. Love your neighbor. Worship the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. In John 14, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Here's another command from Jesus. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Matthew 10, 39, and 40. And here's one from the Apostle Paul one of the ones sent by God. It is from 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. For do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? 
You are not your own. You are not your own. If you are his, then he then you were bought with a terrible price. Jesus Christ bought you. Earlier I said the news really is that good, and it is. Believe in Jesus Christ. Take off the yoke, the slavery of sin through faith in him. In the book of Matthew chapter 11:29 and 30, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Men, women, and children, there is a wonderful day coming for those who believe in Jesus Christ by faith for the forgiveness of their sins. And a horrifying day and hellish eternity for those who don't. Will you believe? Will you humble yourself? Will you take up your cross? And will you wash, your, wash feet like your master? Please pray with me.